You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Life in Christ, we walk through 1 John, written to the church for our joy, our holiness, and our assurance. Please turn to to 1 John with me. Um, I want to back up a little bit. Again, Nate read our, our passage today. It's just two verses, but two massively big doctrines that are laid out in those two verses that... And, you know, technically, literally, I could, you know, we could spend one Sunday on one and one Sunday on the other, but we'll, we'll go through the two. I think they, they go together the way John's explaining it, but I think it really helps us to see where John is coming from and in, 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 into this passage. In fact, many um, folks, I know that our ESV that many of you have, and, and maybe if you have a different version, um, they actually put like verses well, five of chapter one, all the way to two, two together as one pericope, one unit, one train of thought. And it's just the way that uh, the first two verses in chapter two, um, they are formed in, in the way they say it, he could be looking back or he could be looking forward. Um, and um, I think it's a, it's a both hand. <laughs> so um, what I want to do is I want to read starting in John, first John one, Verse 5, and I'm going to read to 2 2, and then I'm going to pray for us, and then we will dive into what God has for us today. So, read with me, or just spend some time hearing from God here. This is a message we have heard from Him, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children... I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Pray with me. Father, we just ask for your spirit to open up your word to our hearts. Lord, yes, we need to learn and believe something about Christ today. So, Lord, help us to understand it, but more importantly, see how it affects our everyday life, how it affects 10 minutes from now, two hours from now, or two days from now. As Tim read, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. He is with us. He's with us right now. Each one of us that are born again have the Spirit dwelling in us. He is with us right now. God is with us. He did not leave us when Jesus ascended to heaven. He sent the Spirit on Pentecost. Lord, I just pray that you would would help us to not quench the Spirit and allow your word to speak to our hearts today. Lord, I just ask that you would use me today to speak your word. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Again, two weeks ago, whenever we were looking at uh, 1 John, John challenged us to walk in the light. And what we said two weeks ago was walking in the light is this idea of loving God and loving men or man or all of humanity, right? We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. And John told us that God is light, meaning there is no sin in God. He, he showed us his character and then said, we are to walk in the light as he is in the light. And then he goes on to tell us that if we say we have no sin, we are liars. So he immediately, within those verses that we looked at two weeks ago, he's creating this tension saying, you have to walk in the light. And if you're walking in the light, you have no sin. But oh, by the way, when you do sin, if you sin... You need to confess those sins. So he's creating this tension. And what we kind of stepped out and looked at, he's, we're, we're, he's not creating the tension that the fact that if we sin, we lose our salvation or something. He's saying that if we, if we sin and when we sin, what we're doing is we're breaking the, the really close, intimate relationship with God that we can have each and every day. That's what sin does, Right? The Holy Spirit is, is, is very much, he can, he, he, the Bible tells us that we can grieve him, that we can quench the Spirit. He's very much like, you know, if, if you're not going to seek me, I'll, I'll, and we feel that. We experience that. We, we don't feel close to God. Maybe you're here today and it's been a struggle because we, we didn't get to meet last week for, for many different reasons, many people sick and, and different things like that. Maybe you're like, oh man, it's been two weeks since I've been with the, the body of believers. And that's really what, you know, what stirs my affections for God. And maybe you're, you're here today and you just feel distant. Or maybe, maybe today you're here because God's wooed you here. That, that you're, you've never experienced God. Maybe you're watching online. You've never experienced God. But what we learned and what we saw was, is this fellowship. There's a fellowship that we have that can never be broken because it's not us holding on to God. It's God holding on to us. But there's this intimacy, this, this daily walk. Just, just like whenever you, you, you sin against your brother or sister or your wife or your husband, and there's some fellowship broken. There's some intimacy broken for a period of time until you you repent and you say you're sorry and you, and then you use the gospel to overcome that. So he's created this tension, but that tension doesn't need to exist because we're, we're seeing what he's saying here. He's saying that, that dude, you're, you're not going to live without sin, but you need to still strive to walk in the light. The Christian walking in the light knowing that they have eternal fellowship with God because the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We have that eternal fellowship with him. Our sins have been forgiven. Not only the sins that you've committed, the ones you'll commit in today and maybe tomorrow and therefore and so forth and so on until the end of time, till he calls us home or he comes back to get us. Who knows? He goes on to say that the Christian who knows that they sin... Um, it diminishes the intimate fellowship with God. That's what sin does. So when I think of things like this, so he's given us these doctrines. I try to think of people. 
Like I, I take what the, what the Word of God is, is saying to me and what the doctrine is. And then, you know, it's, it's being said to human beings. So what does this human being look like? And, and it seems to me like there's three different human beings he's talking about in verses 5 through 10. He's talking about the lost person, right? The person who just walks in darkness, who doesn't care if they sin. It's, you know, if you you tell them, you know, um, God came to save you from your sin, they kind of laugh at you at your sin. They're they're just, they're lost. They're they're walking in darkness 24-7. God has not shown his light in their heart. But he's called us to give the gospel. And and, and the beautiful thing about that is we're just the messengers. He does all the heavy lifting. So I think that's one person that he's kind of describing in these verses. And the second person, remember, John is writing this letter. We gave four reasons, but one of the overarching reasons is because there were some false teachers that came into the midst of these churches, and, and he wanted to correct some of their false teaching. So I think there's a second category of person. It's kind of like the deceived person. And this deceived person, they believe they are sinless. And we, we even talked about how some churches and some denominations still teach that in some way. That like if, if you come forward today and, and you say a prayer and God saves you, that when you get up from the altar, you're now sinless. That's false because the Bible tells us different. John just told us differently. When you sin, you, you know, we will sin. That's, we know that. We're humans, right? So he's kind of talking about the lost. He's talking about the deceived person. And then he's talking about the Christian, the one walking in the light, knowing that they have eternal fellowship with God because of the blood of Jesus, right? They know that. They're living that out. They're walking in that. Who know that they sin, which diminishes the intimate fellowship with God temporarily. So then he calls us to confess that sin in the same exact way as, as Tim led us today. He presented some things that, that we might be off track on, that, that we've stepped off the path on, and then he gave us time to go to the Lord and repent. Now, saint, if you have spent any time this past week reflecting on sin, as John has challenged us to do, maybe you're a bit discouraged. Maybe you feel a bit guilty. Maybe you feel a bit ashamed. Maybe you have taken what John has taught us and, and, and you took it to your prayer closet or you took it to your time with him. And, and he's faithful and just. He's going to reveal those things. Besides that, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And one of his jobs is to convict us of those things. Because God's purpose, his overarching purpose is that we be holy, that we become more like Christ, right? But John has help for us. If you're here today and, and, and that's you, that there's this, well, man, two weeks ago, you told us to start looking at my sin and I've been doing that and I'll feel worse than I did two weeks ago. Well, he has comfort for you. He's... He's given us comfort, and, and the amazing thing is, is, is something that is counterintuitive. It's, it's like, okay, then you just need to be giving me three steps to make this better. No, what John does is he holds up Christ. He holds up Christ to say, look at what he has done. Look at what he has done for you. Look at what God has done for you. Look at the love that he has poured out on you. This is what he has done. So what he gives us, he gives us doctrine. 
And doctrine is what you believe about God. That's, that's what it is. Everybody has doctrine. It's, it's just whether or not you have good doctrine or bad doctrine. Everybody has thoughts about God, beliefs about God. It's just whether or not they line up with the Bible or they don't. So John comforts us. He gives us doctrine. Why? So that you can know for certain what you believe in an age of theological uncertainty. So he's going to hold up these two doctrines so you can be firm. Remember, I was saying that the first John is a very practical book. You can almost break up first John and kind of make it like a, a Christian 101 class out of it. It has all the basic fundamental doctrines of what you need to believe to be a Christian, what you need to believe to actually be able to apply the gospel to your life. So this is what he's doing. He's He's given us what to believe. Now, why is belief so important? Have you ever thought about that? It's like, okay, I mean, I know so many things, but how does me knowing things, and we know that, right, if, if we've read any part of the Bible, we, we get into some of the Gospels, and, and there's this group of people that knew a whole lot, right, didn't they? They knew a ton of things, and Jesus was always banging on them for all they knew, but they just didn't do anything about what they know. So how does this connect, right? It, it connects in this way. And this is just kind of how it works. What you believe shapes what you value, right? And what you value determines how you behave. That's just, that's basic fundamental human 101. What you believe about something shapes what you value, Right? I mean, stop and think about this. There are some things in life that happen, right, that you see happen that it just doesn't bother you. And then there's other things that you just can't let go. Well, it's because you've taken your belief and you've, you've formed a value for it, right? And then that value causes a reaction within you, and then you move on that value. Every single one of us, when you get up tomorrow, right? You will live out what you value. Where you give your money, where you give your time, where you give your effort, it is all determined about what you value. So what is John doing? He wants you to see Jesus for who he is. He wants you to believe who he is. He wants you to have the knowledge of who he is. So therefore it changes your values. So then when Jesus later on, and what we're going to look at tomorrow, and, and kind of Tim jumped into it because of, of what uh, the passage in John says, is he's going to say, oh, if you love me, you will obey me. Oh, wait a minute here. Do you see how it all connects? See, he's, he's holding up Christ so that our values change, so that when he comes along and says, go do this, you'll be like, yep, I'll go do it. That's no problem because I value what you've done for me, Christ, far more than anything else this world can give us. That's the Christian walk. That's what we're doing every single Sunday. That's what we're doing when we get together in community groups. We, we're, we're, we're taking some belief. So it's, it's what I believe, what I do, and what I think. And it's forming our values. And when our values are formed, then it, then it takes in and it, and it actually makes us act in certain ways. This is just how humans work. We're trying to show you, and what John is trying to do is hold Christ up 
give you the belief to believe in that will shape your, your values. So therefore, when he comes to us next week and he tells us that we need to obey, okay, we're going to see how that all flushes out. So he gives us this theological two statements in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. He says this, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. See, we see John's heart here. We we see John as a pastor, as, you know, an, an He's up in his age, 70 or 80 years old, and he's writing to these folks that are, are kind of going sideways a little bit because of this false teaching, and he wants to reassure them. He wants to put his arm around them as a pastor, and that's why he says, my little children. Do you hear his heart there? I am writing these things so that you may not sin. I'm writing these things so you may not sin. Remember, whenever we started 1 John, one of the four things that we talked about was that the reasons why he was writing this is so that you may be holy. This is just another way of saying that. So that you may not sin. So it's funny that he's saying, my little children, I'm writing these things so you may not sin. Let me tell you who Jesus is. That's just counterintuitive, isn't it? It seems to be. It's not for the Bible and the gospel. If we're holding Christ up and we're seeing Christ for who he is, it'll change our values, which changes our behavior. It's just the way humans work. A commentator wrote it out this way, that that verse 1. I think it's helpful. He says this, I am writing these things so you won't regard sin as an inevitable part of the Christian life, and so you won't presume on Christian liberty by thinking sin is no big deal. So he has, the, he has the, the two sides there, the legalism and the licentiousness. It's the, it's the idea that, that, you know, you have an advocate, right? If you do sin, there's, there's a fix for that, right? And then also that, hey, sin is a big deal. You're sinning against a holy God. So he's kind of showing that. So John has made it clear that in this life we cannot be sinless. He's made that clear to us so far, right? That we're not going to be sinless, right? But he does believe we can sin less because we are now in intimate fellowship with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. So we're not going to be sinless, but we can sin less, right? We can sin less. Again, we're, we're going to sin until we're brought to glory or, or God comes, Jesus comes to get us. So what do we do when we sin? And what we do with our sin kind of shows us whether or not we're maturing as a Christian or not. I, I like the idea whenever you say a mature Christian, if I'm looking for a mature Christian, I'm looking at someone that is moving towards Christ. That would be my definition of a maturing Christian. It's someone that's moving towards Christ. They haven't arrived I mean, if you meet a Christian and, and you think that they're, they're all wonderful and like, oh man, that person is so far down the road than me, but yet they've stopped, well, then they're no longer a mature Christian because mature Christians are always moving towards Christ. They've kind of stinted their growth a little bit, stunted their growth a little bit. And what does he say? He says, what do we do when we sin? One nine tells us that we confess our sins 
And John adds in 2.1, we flee to the Savior. Why? Because he is our advocate before the Father. We flee to him. We run to him. When we sin and the Holy Spirit uh, brings it to light or maybe another brother and sister brings it to light or we open up scripture and it's brought to light by the Spirit and his word, what do we do? Do we run and hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Or do we run to the cross? Do we go to the cross and ask for forgiveness? It's It's a big difference in how you're living out your Christian walk. Now, the word advocate is the Greek word paraclete or parakletos, which is why we read those passages in John, because it's the same word used for the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you an advocate. I'm going to give you an helper. When I ascend to the right hand of the Father, right, Jesus said, I'm going to send someone to help you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans, he even says. I'm going to send someone. The word occurs five times in the New Testament. Four times, again, it refers to the Holy Spirit in John 14 through 16. And then also in this one time, it refers to Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is our advocate. He's our advocate in heaven right now. Right this minute, right this second, from now until he comes to get us again. He is our Advocate. That is a wonderful and glorious truth. The word advocate means helper, one who is called to come alongside in a time of need. He is our advocate. He is the cleanser of sin, the forgiver of sin, and the helper when we do sin. Think of the courtroom scene. This is just one way to, to kind of think of what's, what's happening. And again, all illustrations fall short at some point. I know that. But just think of the, of the courtroom scene. There's at least four people involved, is there not? The judge, who is God the Father. The prosecutor, who is Satan. And I get this from Revelation 12.10. Listen to what Revelation 12.10 says. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, talking about Satan, who accuses them day and night before our God. So in the courtroom, you have God the Father as judge. You have, right, the prosecutor who is Satan, who who is consistently and always accusing the saints, just like he did Job, went to God and said, what about Servant Job, accusing him of this, that, and the other. If you take this away from him, he'll curse you, this, that, and the other. So we have God the Father as the judge, the persecutor, as Satan. The attorney is Jesus, and you are the accused, right? The attorney for your defense, Jesus, intercedes with the judge on your behalf. So you have sinned, you've been brought to the court, Satan's accusing you, you're before a holy and just and right God who cannot not punish the sinner. He cannot do it. It's not within his character, it's not within his, he just can't do it because he is a just God, right? So you're brought before him, Jesus intercedes with the judge on your behalf. What is happening here? When Joe sins, Satan rushes in to the presence of God to accuse me. Quoting scripture concerning the penalty for sin and how it is punishable by death. 
He's reminding God all the time, you said that sin is punishable by death. Then I can imagine my defense attorney, the Lord Jesus, saying, yes, Father, he is guilty of that sin. He's guilty. Joe is guilty of that sin. But Father, Father, I went to the cross. And I died for that sin. When Joe heard the gospel and the Spirit was sent to change his heart, and he put his faith in me, my atonement was applied to him, and his sins were forgiven. I put my robe of righteousness around him. He is covered by my blood, and his sins are forgiven because he is my child. Unlike our court, where the defense attorney defends the defendant on the merits of the defendant's case, that's not the court that's happening in heaven. In no way is Jesus saying, but Joe did this good thing and Joe did that good thing, so you can let this one slide. In no way is that happening. Not like our courtroom, wherever our our defense attorney is trying to give the, the judge the merits of us, that's not happening in heaven. That's not happening at all. In John's thought, the merit on the part of the accused is entirely absent. Joe has no merit before God the Father. All my good deeds are like filthy rags. I have no, nothing to present to God the Father for what I have just done. It's entirely absent. All of the merit is on the part of of the advocate, Jesus. Jesus is the one. He's the one standing before the Father and it's like, Joe, yeah, he messed up. He sinned, he lied. He lied about X, Y, Z. But you know what? I, I died for that sin and because I lived a perfect life and because I obeyed you perfectly, I obeyed you, even went to the cross, I shed my blood for your sins, My merit is what's credited to Joe. Do you live like that? The last time you you sinned and you went before God, did you think of all that's happening for your forgiveness? For you to be able to even continue? Because think about Ananias and Sapphira. What happened to them when they lied? Kaboom! dead. That's exactly what we should have. We have an advocate. Jesus, the righteous one, right? I can imagine my defense attorney the Lord Jesus saying, yes, Father, he is guilty of that sin. But Father, I went to the cross. I went to the cross. In John's thoughts, the merit is always on Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel, is it not? That's the wonderful good news of, of the gospel. That's what the gospel is. That's the, the good news that we are to shout to everybody. This is what Christ has done. And this is what he continues to do right now today. We can go to God with our sin. We read Psalms 51 and, and how David went to God about his sin and was forgiven. And, and forever in history, he's declared a man after God's own heart. 
He wasn't sinless. <laughs> it's obvious. It was written down, which is a whole other story about how many things that are written down that if I was writing a book, I definitely probably wouldn't put those things in there. But God did to prove a point, to show us, to show us the wonderful grandeur of what Christ has done for us. That's the good news of the gospel. We have an advocate. Sometimes I think we fall into this thing. Robert Murray McShane, he kind of put it in writing. He says this, I feel when I have sinned an immediate reluctance to go to Christ. I am ashamed to go. I feel as if it would do no good to go, as if it were making Christ a minister of sin, to go straight from the swine through a trough to the best robe and a thousand other excuses, but I am persuaded they are all lies. They're all lies, lies from the enemy. They're all lies direct from hell. Is, is that kind of how you feel now, today, in your life, in your walk with Christ, that you're reluctant to go to Christ with your sin? See, if we're going to be a body believers that truly love one another and truly do and live out the many one another's, not only are we going to be able and have the confidence to go to Christ with our sin, we're going to be able to turn to our brother and sister and confess that sin. In fact, we're told in the Bible that whenever we confess our sins one to another, he is faithful and just to heal us of those sins. It's part of his process. But you know what? We're not going to confess our sins to one another unless we are completely guilt-free before the Father. Right? That's what's stopping it. It's guilt. We don't really understand or we don't really feel sometimes and feelings valid. We, we, we need to feel a, a certain way. But many times we just, we just don't, that the guilt is still there. We still just have the guilt hanging on. But brother and sister, you've you got to see that, that, man, God has done so much to save us. Your salvation is so meticulously cared for by God. You stop and think about that. We have a helper in our heart, the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to dwells in us when we are born again. We have a helper in heaven, Jesus Christ. That's just amazing. I mean, you stop and think about this. He, he saves somebody, and then he changes their values so that then what they do is, is, is they live in such a way that they see that somebody that does not know God is going to hell, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's going to be far more worse than any hell that this earth can produce. And when they see that person, they, they love them and, and because of the love of Christ in them, and they tell them what Jesus has done. And as they are telling them what Jesus has done, the Holy Spirit is sent to change their heart so that they may trust in Christ. And as the Spirit is dwelling in them, they, they have this advocate that is consistently and constantly up beside God the Father advocating for all that we do and all that we mess up. <laughs> it's amazing. 
We don't deserve any of it. But it just shows that he loves his children. He loves those. He loves us. Paul lays it out in Romans 8 this way. We have an intercessor in our hearts, right? Romans 8, 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And, and he who searches hearts knows what it is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I mean, just think of all that God is doing. We have an intercessor in heaven. Romans 8, 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulations or distress or persecutions or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Because as a result, for height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So how does the doctrine help me today? How is knowing and believing and trusting in that I have an advocate before the Father help me today? I've already kind of hinted on it a little bit. It's the only way to get rid of the guilt. It's the only way to get rid of the guilt. Humans were infected with or they, they fall into the, the, the three main categories that you can see very much in the garden with this guilt, shame, and fear. And our advocate in, in heaven will help us with our guilt. Our guilt is never fully extinguished if we only think of Jesus representing us on the cross. If Jesus is just the one who died for you and you haven't moved over and seen or, or maybe you're learning for, it for the first time today, that he is your advocate in heaven right now, right this moment, right? If we just see him on one side... We don't have a complete picture of who Christ is and what he's done. So the pattern kind of goes like this. And, and, and I've heard this. I have experienced this. I, I'm pretty sure I might hit some, uh, uh, some, you know, touch on some bases here with some people. But the pattern kind of goes like this. I sin. I confess. I looked at Jesus on the cross to receive his forgiveness. And then I put myself back on probation. Ooh, I better not mess up again. There's only so many times I can mess up, right? God will get just sick of me. Yeah, speaking to people, right? That's what we do. If, if, if all we see is Christ on the cross, then as soon as we confess our sins, we're going to put ourselves back on probation. Better not do it anymore. We say this because our understanding of Jesus' representation is only on the cross. Therefore, what happens when he forgives me is he just puts me back on probation. Oh, he forgives me until the next, I'm, I'm on probation until I mess up again, right? You're not getting rid of your guilt. You're still living with your guilt. You're still walking in your guilt. Jesus is not advocating to the Father mercy. Like, man, Joe just lied again? Have mercy on him. He's not advocating that. He's advocating justice. He's standing before the God and said, Joe sinned, you must punish him. That's what he's advocating. Right? There's a continual looking at the righteousness of Christ, though. In other words, he's saying, you must punish him, but it needs to go through me. And I died for him. My righteousness is upon him. 
When God the Father looks at Joe, he's seeing Christ's righteousness. That's kind of like the idea of a robe being wrapped around the believer. He's continually looking at the righteousness of Christ and seeing us, in a sense, through the prism of that, right? Through the spectacles, through glasses that this is what he sees. See, until we learn to understand that, you will never deal with your guilt. Because what we do is, is we go to the cross, we see Christ on the cross, right? And then we put ourselves back on probation until the next time we mess up. But maybe whenever we get to the root and we, we deal with that guilt, we will, less up, we will mess up less, right? We will sin less times. You'll never be able to do enough to rid yourself of that guilt. And there's nothing you can trust in to rid yourself of that guilt. It will let you down every time. There's nothing you can do and there's nothing in this world that you can turn to, to to dull the guilt, to dull what you feel. It's gonna let you down every time. Let me just give you a quick example from the Bible of Christ being an advocate. Remember the story of Peter? In Luke 22, Jesus says this. It has all the elements that I've been talking about here. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Oh, Satan going to, right, accuser. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Well, it's a done deal. If Jesus has prayed for you, if Jesus has advocated for you, then it's a done deal. No matter what Satan does, no matter what the world does, no matter what you think about yourself, if Satan, if Jesus has done it, it's done. Right? It's done. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny him three times that you know me. So he told him what his sin is going to be. He denied Christ. He denied Jesus. But what happened? Hmm. Peter went on because of why? Because he had an advocate. Because Jesus prayed for him. This is exactly what he's doing right now for you and me. If we sin, we have one who goes to the Father on our behalf. Jesus says, because I'm your advocate before the Father, I always get what I ask for. He has an infallible case. And his case is his atoning sacrifice. And that's exactly what John tells us in verse 2. He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. This word propitiation is not a word you will see used much outside of the Bible. But nevertheless, it is a very, very important word. The word carries the idea of satisfaction. Remember, I said that that Jesus is before God the Father advocating for justice, right? And he's also saying, guess what? I've satisfied that justice for Joe. I've satisfied that justice for Scott. I've satisfied that justice for any one of us that are in Christ. I've satisfied it. I'm their advocate. 
I'm the righteous one. Jesus Christ, by his bloody sacrifice on the cross, satisfied God's holiness and turned away his righteousness, wrath from sinners. Remember, John already said, God is light. So if we are going to be in the light, we need to be without sin. And this is how we can accomplish that. It's through Christ's righteousness. This is how we walk in the light, how we walk in love. It's because as God the Father sees us, although we may stumble and fall here, there, and many times or a few times or whatever, he's seeing Christ instead of our sin because he's advocating before the Father saying, no, yes, you need to have justice. You need to bring justice, but I've satisfied that justice. That's what propitiation has the idea about. The wrath that that signifies God's judgment that should have been experienced by sinners was experienced by Jesus on the cross. The wrath that was poured out to him My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He took the penalty that we deserve. All this was done to accomplish God's purpose. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 says this, that is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's his purpose. He's doing all this to entrust us with the message of reconciliation. Have you seen this so much? Do you truly believe this enough that it changes your value so much that you're actually living a life as an agent of reconciliation? Or are we filling our lives with so many other things and then uh, I'll give 15 minutes here and 15 minutes there and wonder why we're so miserable at the end of the day? When he saved us for a purpose. And the purpose is all over the Bible. The purpose is part of the mission statement of this church. Go make disciples. This is what we're to do. This is why he saved us. And any, you know, any move off of this path, we're just going to, we're going to suffer for it. And, and thankfully, in that passage in Matthew 20, he says that as you go, so as you are a student in college, or as you work at your work, or as you are a mom and you're discipling your, your children, or a dad and discipling your, as you go, you make disciples. This is what he's doing. The work of atonement accomplished by Christ on the cross is where God's holiness and God's love meet, where God's judgment and God's mercy kiss. That's from Daniel Aiken. And John says this propitiation is for the sins of the whole world. Christ's sacrifice is not only sufficient for John and his immediate community, but is valid anywhere in the world for those who believe. For those who believe. It is sufficient for all, but not effectual for all. Or there would be no hell. Right? And we know that Jesus says it does exist. And everyone would be saved. We know this is not true. The Bible tells us it's not true. That's how we know it's not true. R.C. Sproul helps us out here. This verse does not mean that the Lord intended the atonement to pay for the sin of all people without exception. Rather, it affirms that there is only one sacrifice available for any sinner, namely the sacrifice of Christ. He's it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes before the Father except through me, right? 
This sacrifice is effectual for all who believe, but the only ones who will believe are those chosen by God for salvation from the foundations of the world. The plainest place to see this is in, in Acts 13, 48. Acts 13, 48 says this, And when the Gentiles heard this, they heard the good news of the gospel. They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. As many that were appointed to eternal life believed. We don't know who they are. That's between, that's God's business. We're told to, to spread the gospel to everybody and to love everybody. That's what we're, we're commanded to do. Can you rejoice and glorify God today? Can you do that? Can you see how much love and how much effort just to save you through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of Christ, that God, the, the one that created everything, cares so much about any of us that we're like a grain in the sand compared to the universes upon universes upon universes that exist. That God created them all. But he loves you because he created you in his image. Can you rejoice and glorify in God today? If you are discouraged because God has shown you your sin, brother and sister, run to the advocate and confess your sin. He is faithful and just and will forgive you of that sin. Rid yourself of guilt, knowing that when God looks at you, it is through the lens of Christ. If you are deceived, maybe today is the day of salvation for you. And today you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your advocate, your propitiation for sin. The, the, the simple question that we end with today is, will you trust him today? Do you trust the words of John that he is your advocate? That he is your propitiation? That you can go to the cross when you sin? that you can ask for forgiveness. It's amazing how much care and effort that God has put in to save us, those that just consistently always want to rebel against him. It's incredible. Do we see that today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we just ask that if, if we have been looking for our, at our sin over the last couple of weeks and, and Lord, we come in here with some guilt and shame and Lord, I just pray that we would, we would go to the cross. That we know that Christ died for our sins, but also that he is advocating for us. Right now, right this moment, right this second, it's truly amazing that, that God cared for us. He loved us so much and he continues to love us and all that he has done and, and continues to do to, to make sure that we live a life that is, is a blessed life. It's a, it's a happy life. 
It's a life full of joy because all that God has done for us. And Father, I, I just ask today if there's anyone in the sound of my voice, either here or maybe they clicked online, they don't even know why they clicked online. Lord, that your spirit can go to them and change their hearts. That for them today is the day of salvation. That they will see Jesus for who he truly is and all that he has done. That we will stop trusting in the things of this world and begin trusting in Christ and all that he has done. Father, I just pray for that person. I pray that you would send the Spirit to save them. And Lord, for us who have been battling or have been walking with the Lord for a while, Lord, I just pray that we would see the, the other side, not only that you've died and, and your blood covers our sin, Lord, but, but you are right now advocating for us that we don't have to put ourselves back on probation, that we consistently think, when is this going when is he going to be done with me? Just because I keep stumbling and sinning. Well, he's never going to be done with you because we have an advocate who is just waiting for the day that he gets the word to come back and get all of us. What a wonderful plan. What a wonderful God that we serve. Lord, I pray that each one of us would know him today like that. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.